When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, our podcast that will tell you everything that's going on in interiors and how to make it work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And we're so excited to be doing this first episode because we've been talking about doing a podcast for so long and now we're finally doing it. And up front, we'd like to thank DFS for sponsoring The Great Indoors podcast. DFS is the UK's largest sofa retailer with almost five decades of expertise. One in four sofas sold in the UK is from DFS. And in this first series, we're going to be bringing you all the news, the trends, lots of opinion on those trends and practical advice on how to decorate your own home. So come on then, Sophie, what are we going to talk about? Okay, headline news, Kate. I've got a drum roll for you. I want to talk about the fact that Grey is dead. I beg your pardon? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know. not quite hear it's, that. It's news. It's been all across Design Week. You know, I thought you might have a bit of a problem with it, considering you've even written a book about how to use grey with decorating. And actually, your house <laughs> used to be very, very grey, but you've been quite busy with the redecoration lately. It's so lovely to be recording here in your home today. And, you know, I have stalked you on social media and your blog for many years and drooled over your beautiful interior shots. And now here being in your living room, which is this lovely kind of deep chocolatey shade, is just heaven. But it wasn't that long ago that your living room was grey. It's true. I did write a book on how to choose the right shade of grey paint and my house was, until very recently, all grey. To be fair, we have not seen much grey in all the new launches that have come out. So I'm not going to go with dead, but possibly (laughs) having a little lie down. I think the thing about grey is we've seen a lot of it. And so while I'm never going to agree with you that it's dead... I think it's moved over from being something that was a fashionable choice to something that's now a classic. It's the new neutral that you go to when you're doing your house, almost if you're not sure what you want to do. Well, that's my big bone of contention with the whole grey thing, right? You know, it's just become so ubiquitous. I mean, talk about 50 shades of grey, quite seriously, 500 shades of grey. It's just been everywhere. And my problem with it is I think people have just got really lazy and they just pick one of those designer paint brand greys and then just go and daub absolutely everything in it. And it's stopping people from really thinking about what mood they want to create in their room or what colours do they actually like? Because seriously, nobody's favourite colour is grey. She's harsh, (laughs) so harsh. So I'm going to start with my favourite of the greys, which is dark grey. I've used a lot of downpipe in my house. It's become a synonym for all Now downpipe's that very trendy, farm ball It's a very dark grey. But it has almost a greenish tone underneath it, which makes it a very warm grey. And the thing about downpipe or any of those dark charcoal colours, really, is that they can make everything else in the room look great. It works with all the other colours so that you can have pale pastels will look nice against grey, as will much brighter neons, which will pop out much more, or the more sort of subtle 
dirty colours, for want of a better word, like burnt orange and dark yellow. So for that's why I think it's a great neutral. There's a grey for everybody. Well, do you know there is? <laughs> well, do you know what? I've got something to admit. In my last flat that I moved out of a couple of years ago, I had dark grey walls. But it was because my love of all those very bright, jewelly colours like the... Popped! They Did they pop, pop against they pop, the dark they grey? Pop. But I tell you what, I don't want it anymore. And actually, interestingly, in my new house that we moved into two years ago, which I still have not yet decorated, I've set myself the mission of having no grey in my home. Anyway, I tell you what, it is challenging. Yeah. Because so often I've gone, oh, I'm just going to go for like a soft grey in this bedroom and then I can pop. And then I'm like, no, no, work harder, try harder, think of something else. And it's been a really interesting challenge and it's pushed me as a designer and yet I think I'm going to get a much more exciting home You'll and colour palette because of it. You'll get a home much more you, I would imagine. So while I still love dark grey, actually the soft greys are the ones I'm moving away from because they're starting, I think, to feel a bit colder. I think you've got to work a bit harder. And I think that look, I said this a couple of years ago and everybody shouted at me, the Scandinavian look I think is no longer the dominant look in interiors again i'm not going to say it's, it's been over. dominant for a while though, it's been it? dominant for a long time so and by I that we mean the the pale grays the light wood the very clean mid-century modern mm -hmm. nothing too much if it's not needed don't add quite it quite stripped back aesthetic yeah i and think a, a, that's... the odd uh, sheepskin rug for a bit of comfort exactly <laughs> i think that's moving over a bit and that's potentially taking those paler greys with them. And the other problem with grey, which I think puts a lot of people off, it's not just about the colour, it's really hard to get it right. It can change so much with the light and that's part of the problem. People pick a pale grey, they slap it on the wall and then suddenly it's come out lilac or it's come out really blue and it's really cold and that isn't what they wanted. Or even there's quite a famous grey called Elephant's Breath by Farrow and Ball, which I think is supposed to be the colour of an elephant. But in my house, it's beige. It's not at all grey. And that's what you need to bear in mind. That's why it's tricky. If you're painting a north-facing room, it will have a very steady, sort of cool blue light in it. And that will make your greys go blue. So you have to pick a warmer one, like Elephant's Breath, in a north-facing room if you want to keep that shade of grey in it. And if you're doing a south-facing room, you need to avoid the warmer greys because they will go even browner. Beige, though, might be quite fashionable. <laughs> um, and pick a cooler grey for a south-facing room. So you're counterbalancing the natural light that's coming into your room. Uh, that's really interesting. When we were designing my mum's annex, which has a big open plan space, south-facing, oodles of natural light, and she just wanted it to feel quite neutral because she was going to pop the colour in other ways, we avoided anything too bright. And white, actually, would have been a disaster, I felt, because too with bright. all that light, it would be stark. And we chose one of my favourite... Is favorite. it grey? It is. It's called French grey. <laughs> by Little Green. And for me, that's just a really nice, soft, almost indiscriminate grey. If you're wanting something that just disappears in the background, doesn't really yeah. shout out. And I actually think quite often that's what people want because you don't necessarily want the walls to be the centre of attention. You want your possessions to be the centre of attention. So actually finding the right shade of grey or neutral to put on the walls is a really good way to show off the stuff in your house. Yeah, I'm not quite buying that argument. <laughs> I don't know why the walls can't be fabulous as well. I mean, the other thing I wanted to discuss with grey in particular, is we're talking a lot about grey being a neutral, but there's obviously other neutrals. For me, with the whole grey-like fascination, in terms of colour psychology, it's pretty draining and it's not really supporting you 
very much emotionally. It's a bit of a dead colour, actually. So to have too much of it, I question... You know. Some people do, and colour psychologists will say, in fact, I know one who who said very much that she finds grey very draining and she can't be in that room. I would have said that was hooey. Although <laughs> when I interviewed her, when I was writing my book on grey, I had just painted the kitchen a very pale shade of grey and it, I really didn't like it. And I didn't know why I didn't like it. And she said that Well, you didn't, when you say you didn't like it, or did you not like the feeling in that like room? I didn't like the feel of the room. And shortly afterwards, I thought in a completely unrelated move, we painted out the pale grey walls and painted them with a kind of softer, chalky white. And instantly the room looked so much better. I think that's such a perfect bit of advice is sometimes we can get so obsessed with how a paint colour looks or how the room looks and then you know you've just said but actually when I sat in it I didn't feel great you didn't feel like it was a good place to support you in terms of concentrating and writing and I had a very interesting conversation with Marianne Schillingford who's the creative director of Dulux about when I was writing the book on grey and I said, you know, well, we've all gone over to grey because we're bored with Magnolia and we're being all Scandinavian and we're cool. And when, this is where, How long ago look. was this? This was probably about three or four years mm. ago. And she said to me, which I thought was really interesting, was that Magnolia was very popular in the 70s when we had those old-fashioned tungsten bulbs which gave out a very warm, yellowy light. And actually, if you look back at photographs from the 70s, it is always warm in those rooms with all the corduroy and the pine panelling. And, and the pitch pine panelling, and, yes. and the magnolia walls. And then gradually, when the LED lights came in and electricity changed and the light became much cooler and much bluer, and it hated magnolia. Magnolia looks dreadful under that cool blue light. So we started to look in other directions for colours. And it's one of those sort of chemistry things that all comes together at a moment. But that's when grey started to come in. You sound so intelligent when you said that. It's one of those chemistry <laughs> things. It's because I couldn't think Physics, of the right word. Maybe. It, was a, it was one of those moments. Maybe it was a zeitgeisty moment. Yes, one of those. But we started looking towards greys because they react much better under those cool white lights. And that's why we liked them for a long time. And then, of course, there was fashion and... It grew from there. It grew there. and we all became yeah. obsessed. Well, you have put a very good case. Do I win? No, I, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, I take the higher ground because, you know, officially in terms of trends, grey is, it's really over, Kate, I'm sorry. But you, we're going to have to wait till our second podcast because we're going to discuss what's coming next in that one. So if grey yes. is dead. If grey's having a lie down. What? What are we doing? What are we doing next? So talking colour trends, I mean, we've been thinking everything trends. We've just had London Design Week. There's loads of new paint colours from all the companies have come out. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to know what you were really seeing. So for me, what I was seeing at Design Week is basically if it's upholstered, it's velvet. The velvet's been around for a while and it's going nowhere. It's going nowhere, yeah. It's really interesting because the other thing, lots of people say to me, oh, I don't want to buy a velvet sofa, I've got a two-year-old. We actually did buy a velvet sofa when we had a two-year-old and it lasted for about 10 years through all the milk and the jumping and the biscuits. And actually velvet, these days, man-made velvets are so much tougher. I think it depends what velvet you go for. So, for example, some cotton velvets can be really high maintenance, you know, even if you dribble a bit of water on them, you can get watermarks. But rule of thumb, if it's synthetic velvet, as in not natural cotton... It's tough. You can't always tell the difference, but nothing's staining that little baby. I mean, what about your 
velvet sofa over there. I have no idea. I'm going to go have a look. (laughs) I think that's... pristine. Well, I think it's tough velvet, isn't it? I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Well, it looks I think it's perfect. Tu- you've yeah. got a cat, you've got kids. Although, to be fair, on the kids thing, they're teenagers. They would never come into the sitting room and watch television. <laughs> so I, I think it's only really me and the cat we need to worry about. Yeah, so exactly. So it depends on, on the velvet you have and the protection that it's been given. And actually, listeners, that little pink sofa that Kate and I are sat Not on. little, it's quite big, <laughs> but <laughs> that sofa it's a little, in a little picture. Yeah, the little picture of Kate and I on a pink sofa illustrating our podcast. That is actually a DFS sofa. Put it in my garden. Kate fell off it about four times. And there's no grass stains. <laughs> so we can vouch. That. I'm quite bruised, but the sofa's pristine. <laughs> velvet was very hard wearing on that occasion. I actually think velvet is a surprise. It feels great. It looks great. And it's much tougher than you think. Well, that's what I, I mean, from a designer's point of view, that's why I love it. Because if you put a colour on a velvet, it just saturates that yeah. colour, doesn't it? And really makes it sing. So if you're going to go for a very dark, goodness forbid, charcoal grey <laughs> gorgeous <laughs> but it will look so much more it will give it so much more life than a linen ever would I actually think that's a new way to liven up the grey sorry mm. to come back to that one again it's clearly a running theme <laughs> um, but yes if you've got lots of grey grey velvet will automatically look more modern and more luxurious than grey linen the grey linen will look a bit colder so if you love that colour or you've got lots of it then bring in more shades of it in lots of textures and this is the time of year for that. So another big trend I saw is this kind of like deep forest botanical lovely I love that color Mm. and it's not just that deep color it's all the the patterns and the motifs that we expect with it as well I mean Cole and Sons showroom at Chelsea Harbour during design week was just sensational they brought out a new botanicals range of patterns but they've got this incredible florist involved in their showroom who created these amazing giant sort of topiary trees made out of all different kinds of leaves from burgundy deep red purple through to green it was really textured and really layered but really quite dark it's interesting isn't it because that botanicals trend which has a new name every season mm. but tropical <laughs> botanicals is leaves in it but it's it's sort it's of forest it's I would forestry say, yeah. it's also there been are no, around there are no for a toucans or flamingos in this trend we're no going, we're done with the animals yes, and the yeah. owls i was told earlier this year that it was alpacas that were coming but i still think they might have been teasing I me but it was on radio 4 <laughs> i don't think radio 4 do pranking um but anyhow i have yet to see alpacas so the colour palette there, you know, and, and House of Hackney was also in Chelsea Harper opposite Cole and Son, and they do the very rich, dark, sort of enveloping, cocooning type colour palettes as well, and they've gone very dark in their showroom. Tell you what's moved on that dark trend a little bit is the pattern, the maximalist pattern yeah. on pattern on pattern. But this is, again, I a think a reaction to the sort of cool Scandinavian minimalist look we've had over the last few years. But I think we've gone back now. Maximalism is coming. Pattern is back, not just in textiles, but I think wallpaper is about to come back with a bang. People are beginning to use it and not just on a feature wall. We may come back to that feature wall. Um, (laughs) But also in tiles, lots of pattern tiles. So I think Pattern carpet. Yeah, we're getting much more comfortable with the idea of pattern again. Although pattern carpet's still quite scary. Oh no, I fully embrace. See, I like a patterned rug. 
Yeah, I'm sitting on a very, very flamboyant pattern rug right now in your house. Yes, we're emphasising the word rug. Okay, it is it's very big Fabulous. Rug. <laughs> it's a very big rug and it covers the, almost the whole floor. But for me, if this was a fitted carpet and just for, obviously you can't see unless you've seen on Instagram, it's a dark grey carpet with it's trees. It's a timorous beasties timorous design, beasties. isn't it? It's got trees on butterflies. it and butterflies. And yeah, it's quite, it's quite on. full on, although it's dark grey. <laughs> like it though, don't you? I do like it actually. Um, but it covers almost the whole room, but it's not fitted. And for some reason, I still don't quite understand why. I would be scared of it if it was a fitted carpet. But that flamboyant pattern in a rug, which just leaves a bit of floorboard around the edge, looks great, I think. So one thing we thought would be really fun as a little regular slot every episode is to, well, you know, while trying not to alienate all our listeners. <laughs> yes, don't upset everybody in the first one, Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about design crimes, OK, because I think it's quite fun and I see a lot of them around on my travels. And I thought, come on, let's share. Let's have our own little room 101 of design crimes. I'm just looking around my house before she speaks. I'm a bit yeah. worried. Yeah, if you've been noted, Kate, if you've been noted. So I thought we could kick off. You could share with me one of your design crimes. I'll share. It's going to be like therapy, Kate. I can share one with you. And then better still, what I really want is for our listeners to get in touch and let us know what their design crimes are. And it are. is absolutely just, it's just for fun, folks. <laughs> We're not, uh, it's not a critical thing. Shall so, I kick it off? Shall go on then, off? you okay, go first. I'm going to kick it off because I stayed in this really lovely chic hotel in Dublin a couple of nights ago. When I stay in a hotel, my gosh, do I have to I go straight to the pictures before I even know how, where it is or how much it costs. That's so, not shallow at all. No, <laughs> it doesn't everybody choose a hotel like that. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so I made it all the way up to my bedroom and the cushions on the bed were arranged in a diamond formation. Sitting on their points. Sitting on their points. I'm just... Just going to turn to look at my sofa <laughs> and make sure. I've already rearranged, Kate. I, already okay, rearranged. I do that. If I go into someone's house, I've rearranged the cushions. So, okay, so why, why does that press my buttons? Well, first of all, I think it looks really naff and outdated and just kind of prissy and overstyled. Um, I mean, I'm with you on that one, actually. I was really hoping I was going to disagree with you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. It looks too much as if someone's been trying hard. There's a difference, I think, between what interior designers would call considered interior design, i.e. you've thought about it and done it that way for a reason, and something that looks like it's been put there for a photograph. It looks like it was tidied up after everybody had been sitting there and was waiting for the next person to come and sit there. But the, the other reality is there's nobody sits with a cushion in a diamond formation behind their back. Like, it's just not even practical. It's not even what cushions are for. You know, I've got hundreds of the things. I love them, but I love them for the fact that they're decorative. But I also love them because they're comfy. Yeah. But they are not comfy when they're arranged like a diamond behind your back. It's ridiculous. And on that note, to the one remaining listener who's still with us, well done for having your cushion straight. Whoever you are, we love you. Let us know. <laughs> so my design crime, I do have a bit of a beef with the feature wall. Just because a bit of wall has a fireplace in it, why do you paint it a different colour? It's already got the fireplace as a feature. It doesn't need any more. Or why are you painting the alcoves either side in a different colour? The problem I have with the feature wall is the randomness of it. 
But if you have a wall that maybe has an amazing shape to it or an architectural feature, so if you're up in a loft and there's a triangle or some kind of wall that's different from the other four. Oh, so you're saying a triangular wall is higher up in the pecking order than an alcove wall. (laughs) What I think I'm saying is if there's an architectural feature that you want to highlight, then by all means paint it a different colour. But don't just randomly pick a wall and paint it a different colour. It looks like you couldn't afford the rest of the paint. Yeah, that that is really true. You see, I've always been a little bit of a champion of the feature wall in so much that, you know, one of my missions in life is to get people to have more colour in their homes. And if if it's only going to be a little slither, that's better than nothing. But at the same time, I agree with you, the randomness of it is really irksome and it can make a uh, room feel really disjointed. If you're going to use an accent colour in your feature wall or wallpaper, because that's another good place for feature walls, is these fabulous murals and wallpapers that actually would drive you insane if they were all four walls. Yes, and that's true. You've got to integrate that colour or pattern in the rest of your scheme. Or I would say, do all four walls, but only halfway up. And we can talk about the techniques for doing that at a later date. Mm. But I think that's quite a good way of bringing in the colour. It's also really practical if you've got small children because you can't see the dirty fingerprints. (laughs) Um, Less random. All right, I'll allow that. I'll allow the the random feature wall to go in our... Design Crimes Room 101. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I want the big lever. Yeah, we need a lever. We do, don't we? (laughs) So each episode for the next six podcasts, we are going to take a room in your home and essentially tell you everything you need to know to get it right. This is the practical... It's the what? Now listen carefully. <laughs> Here comes the science bit. <laughs> Practical advice from Kate and Sophie. So you've just done your kitchen, haven't well, you? Well, I was going to say, we're starting with quite a meaty one. Yeah, kitchens. Probably because I'm currently doing mine and I'd quite like to mine you for some ideas. What, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the most important thing when it comes, I mean, to any room is the planning, but it's so important with the kitchen. We had a kitchen in our last house where we had a dishwasher, which was thrilling. We'd never had a dishwasher before, but you could only open the dishwasher door if the bin was closed. So it became quite complicated to actually clear the plates and then put them down and then open the dishwasher. So that would be really key in the planning is do make a list of what doesn't work. And actually, I sometimes say to people, if you've got a good friend, get them to come round and maybe not prepare you a whole meal, although that would be nice, um, (laughs) but maybe make you a cup of tea or get you a biscuit or something so they can be in your space and see what's really irritating and what doesn't work. I would say there are three questions you need to think about when you're planning any room, but particularly the kitchen. So who is using your kitchen? And be honest about that. Is it people who like to cook or who like to eat and are happy with just using the microwave? What are they going to be doing in there? Answer that question. Then you know what sort of layout, what appliances and what you need to have in that room and when are they going to do it which actually gets you into the slightly more fun bit because in terms of what time of day so you can talk about lighting and colors but sort out the who what when and then you get into the more fun bit so then the next i think one of the really big questions is budget when it comes to kitchens they are you know knee shakingly expensive and i think that's also why white kitchens are still 
mostly what you see. And we can talk about colour in kitchen, but people are frightened. They're spending so much money. They're really worried they're going to go off it. So you come back to white kitchens again and again. And also um, another thing I see, which is one of, this is kind of a design crime, actually, if you like. I might pop, <laughs> pop a little random one in I'm here. getting a little extra design okay, crime. You're getting a little, you know, that kind of what I call catalogue kitchen look. So, you know, you dutifully go off to your kitchen designer. And essentially what you've got to remember is their job is to sell you cabinets and they're on the walls and they're going around the corners and all oh, look and there's an island you've got cupboards 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 cabinets but essentially you've got a kitchen that has absolutely no character no personality no bearing on the rest of the home no reflection of you and who you are and it just looks like it's been lifted from a kitchen catalogue and actually that's hate. one of the key ways you can customize it so buy your carcasses from there potentially buy the doors but think about buying your handles from somewhere else so we had leather straps from a swedish company called superfront and they just added a little bit more interest and detail. And everybody said to me, oh, leather handles, really impractical. But actually, leather gets better with age. So it doesn't care what you do to it. We've gone one step further. We've bought our kitchen carcasses from Howden's and got our carpenter to make the door fronts. Yeah, that's so a really good idea. I've got another, oh gosh, another little pet hate, is those kind of ubiquitous shaker. I know, I know I'm going to upset so many people listening because so many people have got shaker kitchens. But for me, I'm a bit over the shaker door. And so many of the budget kitchen brands, that's what they offer. And they offer it in like buff or grey or white. All or- your favourite colours, oh, exactly. We had carcasses from Ikea. So it was a completely budget carcasses. And we lived with the original doors for quite a long time with leather handles. And then we got the carpenter to replace all the doors. And it was just slabs of MDF painted. So actually, that was really cheap because I think one of those big slabs of MDF is about £20. It's not a quick fix, but it allowed me to have exactly what colour I wanted, exactly what door front design I wanted. And, then and what colour is that? It's a really deep, it's called Hunter's Green by Zoffany. It's a really, really deep, dark green, which I just felt linked really nicely to the uh, kitchen, goes out to the garden. And also <laughs> linked really beautifully with my wallpaper. I wallpapered. Is my that kitchen. design crime alert? Wallpaper in the kitchen. <laughs> Actually, I disclaimer, I have seen it and it is yeah. lovely. Is it all right to have wallpaper in a kitchen where there's loads of steam from the pasta or I mean, is it just all about applying it properly? Or do you need to put tiles? Are you having a splashback? Yeah, so I'm not gonna deny that it's an unusual choice to have wallpaper, especially in a, our kitchen's quite small. But again, I'm prepared for the fact that, I don't know, maybe in five years or so, it might be looking tired and tatty. But, you know, I'm the kind of person who's quite happy to redecorate then. I don't think practical issues should really constrain you. I think there's just too much fear and constraint around kitchen design. And my big kind of headline approach to designing kitchens is I treat them like any other room in my home. Yes, they have to be practical, but they've still got to be colourful and beautiful and a reflection of my love of design and I think that's exactly right. And you do go into houses where you see people have experimented with colour in their sitting room and it looks bright and happy and is clearly a reflection of the people who live there. And then you go into the kitchen and it's really safe and really white. And I'm going to potentially upset everybody actually with one of my design crimes, which I've just remembered, (laughs) which which is big grey floor tiles in the kitchen. That's an unusual one. Why are they so offensive? Because it looks like pavement. Oh. And I think people want it to blend with the inside if they're having big glass doors, so it's about blending the inside and the outside. But you 
the inside is never going to look like the outside or vice versa. So I do think you could maybe tone colours, but have a different surface. But those big grey floor tiles in kitchens makes me think of the road. Oh, right. Interesting. I see. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never, I will look so at she's big, not upset by that. No, I'm not <laughs> upset by it, even though it's grey. I find that one of the least offensive things. <laughs> but each to their own. So anyway, so back to my wallpaper, just a few practical tips. Yes, obviously I haven't wallpapered around the sink or the cooker. That would be insane. So I've got tiles around the cooker area and actually my sink is set inside of window, so that's fine. And I've got a, um, a wooden worktop with little wooden upstands so that the wallpaper is protected on that level too. And like I say... So actually it's turning out to be a supremely practical well, choice. Also, I'm, I'm not super precious, you know. Yeah. And it's a really detailed, heavily patterned wallpaper. So I'm applying the same theory as a heavily patterned carpet. It hides a multitude of sins. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> and I, what I like about that idea is is using pattern in unexpected ways. I'm always encouraging people to use pattern tiles for splashbacks because kitchens are full of straight lines and hard mm. surfaces. And that's why I wanted leather handles to just bring in something a bit softer and also then perhaps pattern tiles to bring in a little bit more personality. Even if you have grey pavement floors and white <laughs> cupboards, maybe you could throw caution to the winds and bring in a pattern tile. <laughs> and that's another reason why I don't like too much wall-to-wall fitted wall cupboards you know I think they can look really dull um, I took all the fitted cupboards out of our kitchen and just replaced them with floating shelves and for me again it's what you like I'm not like a neat freak so I don't mind the fact that my tea caddies and glasses and mugs and things are on display in fact I rather like it because I quite like my collection of pottery and ceramics and stuff I like that open shelf look and we have it as well but I know people get very worried about dust and whether it's impractical in a kitchen so what I would say is we've got our hob on an island in the middle and the shelves are on a wall to the side so if we are cooking something or frying steak or something then there's no splash onto those mm. shelves so yes there is a bit of dust on the shelves but frankly I'm, I'm just not that yeah. precious you just got to know what your dust care. tolerance quota is Quite Hi, turns out <laughs> once I'd installed 27 floating shelves in my kitchen, dust tolerance really quite high. Um, can we talk about worktops as well? Because that's something that I get asked a lot. The most practical worktop we ever had was stainless steel. It doesn't mind lemon juice, which a lot of the natural stones do. They will stain. You can chop things on it. I mean, I wouldn't use it as a chopping board, but you can slice things on it and it's not going to be offended by it. I mean, it's what they have in professional restaurants and mm. there's a reason for that. But I think that's a great look and I did really like it. We've now gone for a composite stone, which looks like marble, but isn't as temperamental. We've gone for a reclaimed worktop. Uh, we went to our local reclamation yard and he just had delivery of some fantastic old science lab worktops from an old school. That's so a brilliant idea because they're, they're battered already. Exactly. You yeah. can see how I live in my house. Everything <laughs> takes the knocks. So I actually love the fact there's even like little bits of graffiti kind of carved in. Like, brilliant. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And also, I think we did our whole kitchen for like 500 quid. I mean, there was a little bit of sanding involved and mm. resealing, but it was in a very affordable worktop. Because you do have to be a bit careful with a modern wooden worktop because you will need trivets and coasters. It will burn. Mm. And you do have to be careful around the sink because of the water. Yeah. So, But it looks great. It's warm. A wooden worktop is great if you've got an island or a breakfast bar because that's the other thing nowadays. It doesn't have to all match. So you could have a stainless steel worktop around your sink with the sink 
as part Ooh, of yeah, it. Nice idea. And you could have a wooden worktop in another part of the kitchen where you might want to sit and have breakfast or have a glass of wine. So you can mix, mix up match. different surfaces. No, I think, now. It's a ni- I think yeah. that's a really nice thing to do. I want to get your thoughts on laminate worktops. Now, that's been quite a dirty word, I think, in, in kitchen design for a long time because I think laminate worktop, and I'm straight to thinking like fake quartz or marble or wood, you know, that sort of plastic wrap with the bullnose kind of like detailing. My granny had a red one. Did you? Yes. Well, you see now that. Red laminate worktop. And she had a red laminate worktop and black and white flock wallpaper oh, in her that. kitchen. Oh, I'm now thinking it was probably amazing, but very at the amazing. time it was probably quite forward thinking of her. <laughs> so my feeling about laminate, might be similar to many people listening. When I look back on my granny's kitchen and the laminate was kind of peeling off around the edges and coming unstuck. So, so you, you equate it with quite poor quality because I don't yeah. think it's like that anymore. I think laminate's really, really raced ahead. And now you can get fantastic finishes and brilliant colours. And I'm all for that. You know, what about like a pop of lovely blush paint worktop in your white kitchen as an update? I mean, And you just can also heaven. get, I think, with quite... Ma- oh, oh, there's the letterbox. That's your postman. <laughs> <laughs> if it's got windows in the envelope, I don't want it. Um, you can get quite matte surfaces now, which actually look really sleek and aren't reflective. And they're really tolerant for pans. It's almost like stainless steel. I think you can put hot pans oh, down. Really? It doesn't mind water. They're again, really tough. Yeah, and, and the tip is as well to go for the square edge rather than the bullnose edge. It looks much more modern. Yeah. And also you can create that lovely like waterfall finish where you take the worktop all the way to the end and then drop it down to the floor. Yeah, that's And that's really easy nice to do with yeah. a laminate worktop with a square edge. Maybe we're bringing laminates back. Well, that that's... No, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's going I'm bringing far. Anna Glipter back, but maybe oh, that's for you? next week. <laughs> That's all we've got time for for now. We hope you've enjoyed listening and do get in touch to tell us your design crimes or just your comments and we'll share the best on the next episode. For now, you can find us on Instagram at Sophie Robinson Interiors and Mad About the House. And another little job for you, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. So thanks so much again to DFS for sponsoring this, our very first episode of our podcast. It's been really great fun. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'd also like to do a big thank you to Kate Taylor, our producer. So see you next time. Bye. Bye.